0: That Triathlon Show, 421. Hey, what's up everybody? And welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode I interview Craig Kirkwood. Craig is a triathlon and running coach from New Zealand, most well known for coaching Hayden Wild. He's been on the show before, back in episode 220, which I will link to in the episode description if you want to go back and have a a listen to that one as well. In this particular interview, we talk about and Wild and his training, and then we also do a longer segment of questions related to age groupers and training and racing improvements that uh, you might be able to do for yourself. But before we get into the interview with Craig, big thanks to our sponsors, Form. The form Smart Swing Goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training right on the goggle lens, including splits, pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. This means that you can execute your swim workouts better and also have more objective data to help you understand where your biggest point for improvements might lie, Form also recently introduced additional metrics related to technique and efficiency in the water, for example, related to your head rotation during breathing and your head position when in neutral body position. These metrics can give you even more insight in where you might need to work and improve. You can get 15% off the goggles with the code TTS15 on formswim.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Zenate. The Zenate Indoor Swim allows you to improve your technique, power and swim training consistency, even when you're short on time. It's a great tool for busy athletes because you can do a quality workout in just 15 minutes at home even on days when you don't have time to get to the pool. It is a perfect complement to pool and open water swimming as it allows you to focus specifically on key aspects of your swimming, like your catch and your power, and isolate them more easily than you can in the water. You can try the Zenate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back, and you can get 20% off your first order on zenitwinter.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's the interview with Craig Kirkwood. Welcome back to Dutch Action Show, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. It's been about 200 episodes or so since you were last on. So maybe we start with an introduction for those listeners that are a bit newer and haven't heard of you before.
1: Yeah, well, it's been a, it's been a while. I think it was early 2020 when we, I was last on. So um, thank you very much for having me on. So um, for those who don't know me, a little bit of my background, um, I live in Tauranga in New Zealand, which is a small beach town on the northeast coast of um, the North Island in New Zealand. Um, I grew up in an even smaller town on the east coast of the South Island called Timaru, and um, I live here with my my wife and my kids, um, two teenage boys. Neither of them do triathlon or in running, but both are pretty active doing their own thing, so that's cool. Um, I started life as a runner, um, ended up going to the US on a scholarship where I got my uh, sports science degree, and post that, I ended up moving to London where I worked for and athlete management so which kind of kick-started my coaching career really um i started working for kim mcdonald who um had a stable of world-class kenyan runners and um that's where my coaching career kind of kicked off and i really got in uh, um absorbed into that kind of high performance world um probably the first Olympic campaign that I kind of like to think of as being part of involved with, was, um, the 2000 Olympics with, um, Olympic 1500 meter runner, Noan Ying. So I was part of his, um, campaign to win that, win that gold. So it was kind of my first Olympic medal campaign. Um, when I look back on it, um, so it was pretty special times and it's a long time ago now, but it was, it's still pretty vivid in my memory. um, Personally, I, I ran a couple of world cross countries, um, half marathon world champs, um, went to the Com Games as a marathoner um, and in 2008, I f- tried to qualify for Beijing Marathon and and failed in that attempt um, and I said to my brother-in-law at that time that if I didn't make Beijing, I would do an Ironman with him the following year. So, um We entered um, Ironman New Zealand in 2009, and that's where it all began for me. Um, I started my formal coaching business in 2013, um, and yeah, it's just growing from there, so it's been a pretty exciting 10 years. Um, I started coaching um, Hayden in 2016, or the end of 2016, after he got
0: inspired by watching Rio, and um, yeah, the rest has been history, really. Yeah. And just to add on that, you also, you do coach a a bunch of age groupers, I think, in both running and triathlon. So it's not just uh, the high performance athletes going for the Olympics, but it's a good mix. Yeah, it's a huge mix. Actually, I've got um, some people who just kind of
1: like to run some half marathons and, um, and I've got a whole bunch of uh, junior athletes who um, compete at um, national level um, on the track and in triathlon. Um, Yeah, so it's a a massive mix. um, And I, Every single one of their journeys inspires me to to help them and, and to be better um, than they were yesterday. So, um, yeah, not just all about high performance.
0: Yeah, today, do you find uh, running or triathlon more inspiring to coach, or is it uh, more about yeah, just helping helping the individual and and not so much about the sport itself?
1: Yeah, you know, I think well, athletics is my my kind of my first love, I guess. So um, it'll always be special to me. Um, and yeah, helping them is is cool. Seeing their journey and comparing it to kind of where I was at their age, and um, and then as I, as they grow up and and through their careers. But um, no, I I just like the fact that kind of the athletes are getting better day by day, and they're making progress and and getting gains and enjoying themselves. So that's that's what really motivates me to do what I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right so so let's get into the first main topic which I want to chat a bit about uh, Hayden Hayden Weil's progression in to really to the, the top of the sport and uh, I'm sure that the goal now is to try to win a gold in in Paris uh, when we last spoke as you said early 2020 I, I tried to look up his results, and from what I could see, he had just had a breakout result in the Tokyo Test event earlier in 2019. Yeah. And uh, But before that, he was kind of getting towards that, fighting for podiums, but more top tens were good results, sometimes the top five or so. So he wasn't consistently on the podium like and winning like he is now. So, and then obviously he went on to take the bronze medal in, um, in, in a great race, fantastic race in, in Tokyo. So, and since then has just gone from strength to strength. Uh, so can you talk us through a bit this progression that he's had over the last few years? Yeah, I
1: think if we rewind back to 2016, um, you know, he was, uh, he came to the sport from, uh, a a multi-sport and off-road background, um, and you know, he had a desire to go to the Olympics, and decided that triathlon was going to be the way there. Um, his swimming was and is still a gap. Um, and you know, so we we spent the best part of the, those four years really till um, till Tokyo actually trying to be trying to be in the race and at the front of the race, and that was kind of the goal: was like let's get you fit enough and and to the point where we can actually be at the front and be a contender. Um, and really, since since then, the focus has been how do we tweak this to try and win those races? So um, it's been a bit of a natural progression. Like now he's racing, you know, racing at the front consistently. Like what can we do different to um, to get those wins? Um and be you know be in the mix um so yeah that's really been the the difference in the mindset i guess Um, and that's come around through just changing some uh, of the sessions and um, being a little bit more specific about what we do um, in those sessions to to try and get the little get the edge over the athlete
0: over the competitors do you have some examples of that of those small changes that you made
1: Oh, just some of the run sessions that we do. Um, he trains a lot with Sam Tanner, who's an Olympic 1500-meter runner. So um, that's a really perfect um, synergy, you know, in terms of closing speed over, you know, when you're getting dusted up on the track by a 1500-meter guy constantly um, and just working on, on that on that speed. So, um, you know, Alex is obviously the main um, competitor that we kind of look at in terms of run speed, Um currently um and you know he's got good closing speed and a good track background so he's kind of always a bit of our litmus, litmus test for um you
0: know are we being successful um are we doing the right things yeah do you have an example of a good session that Hayden might do going into an important race uh a run session with with that kind of speed work like going into something like the grand final or or so this year
1: yeah so we might do something really simple um like a session of of 200s with a 200 jog recovery and those, you know, are designed to be as quick as, you know, he can run them without hurting himself. Um, And so that would probably be kind of around the, I don't know, 26 to 27 second mark and then, you know, jog round recovery. So do a set of those. Um, Or um, something like four or 500 meters um, as a progression. So each hundred getting a little bit faster than the last. So until the last one being kind of, almost a full sprint so um yeah so just sessions like that just to get get the edge and um and, and try and teach him how to you know really find that top end speed at the end of the race
0: yeah and uh, yeah well other than his own his progression and and what he's needed to do to get to the front and then now to try to win those races have you seen a significant change in the racing as a whole, how the field has progressed, how the demands have uh, changed, basically how the field has has become faster in different disciplines. What what do you think has happened in that perspective?
1: Yeah, uh, there's definitely um, definitely been a mix of the way the races have panned out. Um for the most part they've they've come back together and, and it has been um the runners that run off the front. But we've had we've seen a couple of instances where uh, particularly with the French, they've worked as a team and, and driven that front pack um on the bike and and stayed away. And I think the last two grand finals have been a really good um example of that. Um so it's definitely something that we're you know we're conscious of um and that we're you know working to mitigate. So um, and hopefully we're successful. But yeah, I mean, I think as a whole, um, it's the run. The run level has lifted for for everyone. I think uh, I think it's pretty cl- plain to see. Um, but I still think um, you know that to win in Paris is going to take you know a, a sub twenty eight thirty off the bike um, to win. So you know that's what that's what our focus is.
0: Mm. And and I was looking through some results from. Uh, pre-Tokyo and now from this year. And I'm not I'm not convinced that my my uh, scientific method was was on point there because they weren't the same races. Obviously courses are different and maybe the sample size wasn't big. But the races that I looked at, the results across both Sprint Olympic distance, it looks like the swim was quite a bit faster, is quite a bit faster now as well. So it, it's maybe not very visible to see, but uh but that's something that that it's it seemed to be the case. that the swim is faster. But nevertheless Hayden is clearly faster because he's closer. It's not that he's a front back swimmer, but he's closer to to be in a good position there in into T one. So, can you talk about how he's worked on his swim? What kind of improvements have you seen there? And and yeah, what uh, what kind of training has led you to those improvements? Yeah, you're right. The swim has definitely changed, and I think, and that, and that also comes
1: down to the people who are in those swim groups. And we've seen the, um, the re-entry, I guess, if you like, of Henry, um, back into the into the WTCS fold, and he'll definitely have an impact on the front of those swim fields. So, um, yeah, so and so those races have changed a little bit, um, but they're not always consistent. Um, yeah, Hayden's I mean, Hayden's swim is is always, like I said before, it's always been a gap, um, and we're you know constantly been a work on right since 2016 so um and i think really his improvement has just been consistency over time like he's he's just got better year on year um we've continued um to evolve on what we're doing in that space and tried a few different things over the, over time and each little each little thing that we try is is compounding and getting him closer and closer to the front um we did some work a couple of years ago on his on his stroke um and we use some you know power plates that we um, had here from high performance sport New Zealand, which um, which we, we use to just uh, identify um, you know holes in a stroke and then then try to patch those with some technique work so um, so we've done some small things like that to improve and um, which we're continuing to look at um, and evolve as we go along. What is his typical weekly volume of swimming? um he's he's generally swimming um six times a week um and those sessions are probably around five to six kilometers at a time probably on average so yeah so it's a reasonably big volume um but when you're not when you don't come from a swim background you kind of have to have that volume uh, to be competitive at the front yeah or to be anywhere near them, really
0: yeah and what are are there some staple workouts that are um the most important ones in the program working more on the takeout speed required or a sustained threshold or, or both equally important, both equally
1: important. Um, yeah, I think, um, that takeout speed is, is critical. Um, in, you know, in the WTCS racing, if you get caught in the in the pack, um, then you end up in a fight at the first buoy. And um, Hayden's definitely been a victim of that a few times. So, um, and you know, that's seen him come out mid mid pack, or if even further back, uh, often. So, um, and the days that he has, um, you know, a, a good a good breakout off the line, then we will see him near the front. And I think Cagulari this year was a really good example of that. I think he was twelve seconds back from the lead out of the water. So. Um, that was you know a good example of a really really good
0: start from from him yeah yeah it was uh that was a beach start wasn't it so does he benefit from that as well
1: yeah that's right yeah and coming from new zealand we we're good at beach starts here because that's all our racing is like that so
0: yeah yeah uh, so do you have an example session of uh, that where you're working on takeout speed
1: yeah so it's a um like a, a dive start into um you know a quick 12 to 15 meters and then um into a threshold kind of for about 50 or 100 meters so yeah so sessions like that are are really critical um for him to um make that improvement yeah
0: yeah the olympics are coming up in 2024 uh we're what are we seven seven months away or so eight months perhaps but uh regardless what does this planning and periodization look like for between now and then yeah it's a good question um We've uh, we were debriefed
1: last year, and um, as we all know, uh, well this year actually twenty we're still in twenty three. Um, twenty three was pretty successful for Hayden, but he had a, quite a few little um, ups and downs with different things that went wrong uh, at, at you know different points in the year, which we couldn't we couldn't do anything about. He got a flat first race in Abu Dhabi, uh, finished forty six, which wasn't great. He crashed it. On the way to the Paris Test event, which was extremely disappointing for 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 the whole team, you know, we were um, pretty confident that he was, you know, in contention for the win. Um, He definitely would have been running off the bike with Alex that day, so it was a real disappointment um, to not be able to see where we were at on that course. So, um, but you know, he bounced back really well mentally. Um, Went to Pontevedra, got a bit sick. Um, and so um, it really didn't um, pan out as we as we would like but um, the, we've made some uh, some changes to the next year um, we've streamlined the season a bit so it definitely won't be racing anywhere near as much um, our focus will be 100% on Paris and being successful there trying to mitigate um, as much travel as we can um, so that we can just focus on the training blocks and um, minimise any um, illness and anything like that so and even right into the Paris, we'll be we'll be taking precautions so that we're not getting caught up with um, um, illness or um, fatigue on on the trip into Paris. So.
0: Mm. Does that mean skipping quite a few of the WTCS races bef- before Paris or throughout the year leading up into Paris?
1: Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um I won't go too much into what the exact plan is we kind of want to keep that a little bit um quiet for now um but yeah we yeah it does mean that we won't he won't be doing the full um WTCS season yeah
0: yeah so that obviously gives some more room for more consistent longer training blocks I guess that's one one important difference uh, are there any other different or any differences in training when you're looking to really peak for that one day which is a bit different i guess from from many other years, even though you have things like the grand final and so on, but still you're then you're really trying to 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 win a lot of races and and win the series so so is there are there differences in in the training uh that you can point to that you might make
1: yeah I think this year we had um we had two we had two focuses one was to win the world series and one to win in paris neither was successful <laughs> um but um I think this year or next year, sorry, 24, we'll be able to streamline um, the training, the racing program, and uh, which will allow us to just really focus in on Paris, and I think what it will do is allow us to um, maintain that base phase for a lot longer and, and revisit that when we need to. Um after after you know the races that he does do will be able to go back and have a nice consistent block in the lead up and uninterrupted by racing so hayden's actually pretty lucky in that he can go to a race and we can pretty much train through it uh with a small taper and and um, he's robust enough to handle that and carry on um but i think not having the racing will allow us to be really specific um building straight into into paris and yeah hopefully a successful race there
0: yeah, and sometimes, as you say, the the travel is is harder than the race itself, and with the risk of of getting ill and and so on. So so that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, what what does I'd, I'm actually not clear on uh, the New Zealand selection policy. So has Hayden qualified, or is he selected already, or does he still need to to get that selection?
1: Yeah, so our automatic qualifier was a podium in Paris, um, which he, he failed to do. So the secondary criteria on our policy was two top eights at a WTCS um, race. So he's he's met the secondary criteria along with uh, Nicole Van Decay, So the two of them both um, have that. and um, But it, it leaves them open to... Um, to a selection. So um, I would anticipate that he will be selected. I can't imagine a world where he won't be, but um, uh, yeah, still not hundred percent confirmed. So we're just kind of waiting on that when the selection rolls around. Um, but we'll, we'll be training with an eye that he will be selected and he'll be going to Paris. So Yeah.
0: yeah I've, uh, I yeah. mean, I, I would assume uh, without having any, any knowledge about it, but it, it seems like it would be uh, extremely strange not to, not to select him. So with yeah. that in mind, my, what i'm wondering is for an athlete like hayden is the test event less important than an athlete like alex for example where there is more competition or especially let's look at the british women where you have a massive amount of competition or other uh, other teams and federations the us women the the germans and and, and other federations have have that really strong emphasis on the test event to actually get the qualification for Hayden it seems it has always seemed like he he's going to be selected uh, because he's just a standout performer really on the men's side in New Zealand so is the test event still super important just to get build confidence into Paris or or is it less so would you say um, yeah, it, it, I mean, I had the importance of being an autos, um,
1: qualifier for, for our policy. So that would have been nice to go and tick that off and, and know 100% that he's going to be on the team. Um, our New Zealand Olympic committee, um, is pretty tough at times. So, um, anytime you can secure your selection, um, and put it out of reach or out of question for anyone is, is, you know, a good move to to do, but also a good opportunity to go to Paris, race on the course, um, be successful, and and know that you've done it before, um, which is what we did in in um, in Tokyo. You know, he went to the test event, um, got on the podium, returned back um, two years later, I guess it was, and um, did it again. So um, yeah, so that was that was you know nice to know that we've done it once and we can do it again. Um, Paris this year was um you know obviously had that crash on the way in um on the ride to the course in the morning and hurt himself and then yeah wasn't able to run so but he 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 swam and biked um well enough that we took a lot of took a, a lot of confidence out of that and know that he's you know he would have been right in the mix and as the way he was running leading into that uh, race was you know indicating that he would definitely would have been you know going toe to toe with Alex right up until the until the end um so Yeah, and who knows what would happened. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so so in terms of training right now, uh, are you already in kind of building the base, or is it a recovery uh, recovery period right now? What is what is going on at the moment? Yeah, so he's just building building base at the moment.
1: He he raced those a couple of races in Australia on the way home after Super League, did the Noosa try and uh, Melbourne seventy point three, and then he spent a week in Fiji, um, just relaxing. Another week back in New Zealand where um, he just rode his mountain bike and um, went for a couple of jogs around in the forest, um, and then um, and then yeah, start and then followed up with a, a third week of pretty easy kind of training, just just getting out there moving again. And um, that's always a tough week for him. He doesn't like taking time off at all. So um, yeah, having kind of two weeks of almost forced forced breakers, um, yeah makes him a bit itchy and yeah that next week was a bit rough but he's he's bounced back pretty well he's done a session um on the track yesterday where he's actually pacing a five thousand meter race on saturday so um we thought we'd better stick him on the track and make sure he can actually run fast enough to to do it um but yeah just in a base phase really so um Mm. it's just just building
0: yeah so so i want to ask you then can you t- take us through a full training week and maybe it is uh right now in the in this starting to build the base phase or if you want if you prefer you can pick another week from earlier in the year but yeah i'll leave it up, up to you but but just walk us through monday uh until monday through sunday what, what a train a sample training week from hayden has looked like
1: yeah so i mean on in generic terms um he would swim um 90 minute sessions uh, monday to friday uh, which is pretty pretty consistent, um, uh, year round. Um, we often chuck in a Saturday session, um, in, in the pool, um, but more of as a recovery than anything else. So, um, and a bit of technique work, he's riding five or six times a week, uh, long rides at the moment, kind of four to five hours on the bike. Um, and, and he's, he's a, he's a good enough rider, um, naturally, without having to do too much um, work at this time of year, so we, we, it's it's really just aerobic riding, and he's just spending time on the bike and and getting the hours done. So there's nothing nothing special there. And in terms of his running, that's at the moment that's our big focus is getting that that run volume up. Um, so he's he's doing you know two long runs a week um, and one session a week where. Um, you know we're just keeping that nice and steady and um not doing anything crazy in that so it's just you know i mean it changes all the time but like a variety of you know one kilometer reps um but nothing faster than about you know three minutes 305 pace for him and for him that's not super quick you know that's um that's pretty comfortable and he can he can knock those out with pretty short recoveries and, and not be hurt from it so mm, yeah,
0: yeah. What well, what is the the biking volume at the moment um he's probably at
1: around uh, maybe around 550 to 600 k's a week um but yeah and we'll just build on that i mean it's only is, it's only been back two weeks i think really has into kind of decent volume so um we'll just build on that and see how see how much we can push
0: it out yeah by the way did he spend a lot of time on the time? Ta- or i'm assuming the answer is no but did he spend some time on the time trial bike leading into uh, into melbourne and and noosa
1: yeah, he did. Oh Well, not, not a huge amount because he, he flew straight from um, Super League um, in Neom to Australia and hadn't really spent any time on the bike until then, so he's probably spent two weeks in the build up to melbourne on the time trial bike but he did get it fitted properly uh when he was in europe um and so yeah he went to germany and got on the on the velodrome and got fitted out properly and um, was nice and aero and um, was comfortable on the bike so um, it wasn't actually too much of a shift for
0: him yeah. all right yeah yeah that's good done. um yeah and running wise so two long runs how, how long are those long runs the the longer ones probably about as two hours and
1: then maybe an hour and a half for the second one hour 20 to hour 30 for the second long run um so you know two of those each week um and just just keeping the volume up and in
0: between yeah yeah and and is that kind of steady let's call it zone two running or is it more just easy time on feet um
1: probably probably in zone two i i guess if you're yeah putting it into zones um I, I wouldn't use that terminology but yeah we just call it like a general aerobic kind of um conditioning yeah. run so you know for him that's anywhere between you know four minutes and four ten pace per kilometer um which is, is pretty comfortable kind of running for him
0: yeah and uh the, the running volume overall uh, what what is that at the moment and what are you looking to build up to
1: Oh, uh, he's probably at around 100 kilometres at the moment, but we'll be looking to push that as high as we can get it without
0: um, impacting on everything else. So, um, and what, what do you think that will be?
1: Um, well, in the past, we've been able to get to 160 k's. Um, yeah, but the, and the, obviously the bike volume will have to come down a little bit um, when we get up that high. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll try, try and get it there. We'll see how much time we've got during summer
0: in New Zealand. Mm. At least it's a good time to be out running in the sun all right yeah so it uh, it's a proper <laughs> it's a proper base phase definitely lots of sounds like lots of lots of aerobic training i wanted to ask you as well about uh yeah melbourne he qualified for seven three worlds with that yes. and uh i guess that's something that is on uh in the cards then for after paris
1: yeah yeah definitely um it's in his hometown he was um he, he was born in taupo and um wants to wants to try and race there and um you know, try and win that world title on on home soil, if you like. Um, so, and it'd be pretty special um, racing racing world champs, and you know, in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. So it, it was too good to um, pass up.
0: Will that be the main focus after Paris, or or will he still be focusing on things like the Grand Final uh, Super League, or is it foc- really fo- focusing on Taupo? Well, that'll probably be the next big focus. I think.
1: Will, um obviously
0: you'll do the the grand final and those things but um yeah the focus will be on Taupo after that all right so let's move on to topic two uh for today uh which is uh, training and racing for age groupers uh, so uh, yeah i want to ask some tips around uh, a number of a number of topics here yes so i i often ask about training but uh, sometimes i i neglect to ask about racing so i'm going to start with with on that and asking for racing advice from you what advice do you have for age groupers? on how to get the most out of uh themselves on race day this can still include things in the near vicinity of race days so or leading up to to racing but also of course things that you actually do uh, on race morning and and on the race course yeah um i think
1: there's some really critical things that people um get wrong a lot and one of the one of the big one is the taper um I think that they come in not rested enough um, and I think sometimes um, they get caught up in um, lots of formulas that they find online and things like that, especially if they're kind of managing their training themselves um, or if their coach hasn't quite understood their demand or their, their needs necessarily um, and that they come in not rested enough. Um, so I, I would, I would say that they find their own formula to that and um yeah, learn, learn what it means to show up on the start line nice and fresh and ready to go, um, both physically and mentally as well. So um, uh, probably the next big one is getting their nutrition right um, and on, so during the race, um, and then also um, kind of pre-race in that they're not getting to the start line without any fuel in their, in their body. So those are probably the two big ones, I think, on race day. Um, and uh, maybe the next one would be, to actually listen to their body a bit more, um, not get so much so focused on the data that they're looking at on this, on their, on their Garmin or their head unit. Um, and that they're, they're, they're actually listening to their body and understanding how that feels. And, um, Judge, judging their effort a little bit more on that rather than the numbers that they're looking at. Um Sometimes the numbers can be a bit deceiving um, depending on the course and the conditions and the competition and things like that. So, but if you're listening to your body all the time and keeping a gauge on how it's feeling and, you know, how, how, how deep you're digging, um, then, um, you know, they can have a, a more successful race if they can understand that and get better at it.
0: Yeah. No, those are good tips yeah. uh, about the, the taper. Um, uh, what would you say that when you, when you, when you say that, when you think that people don't uh, get to the start line fresh enough do you think it's more related to maybe starting the taper too late or maybe still trying to do a bit too much within the taper or do you think it's a combination of both probably a combination of both um
1: but probably trying to do more in the taper than they need to um yeah I mean you don't wanna you don't want to come in um with having two weeks off, uh, um, you'll feel awful if you get on the start line and not done anything for two weeks. But also, equally, you'll you'll feel awful on the start line if you've come in and, and done too much. Um, and I know that sounds really ridiculous because it's quite a hard balance to get right. But I think if you peel back, peel back the intensity, um, and when I'm prescribing, uh, this might this might make it a little bit clearer. But when I'm prescribing. Um, intensity i quite often talk you know in general aerobic terms and then and then easy terms so uh, if i'm having someone do um you know an easy hour run um that might be you know 30 seconds slower than their general aerobic kind of run and so just that difference could be enough to bring them to the start line um, a lot fresher, and that they've, they've just backed off the intensity in the total volume in the build-up. Um, you can still do a couple of easy sessions in that in that maybe two-week block leading in. Sorry, my my computer's beeping at me. Um, you can do some sessions in that, in that lead up, in that two week block, um, but even those, the intensity and the duration of those uh, sessions can pe- be peeled back a little bit, and the recoveries between the reps um, be extended so that the, you're actually recovering and and um, not digging
0: digging yourself a, a nice deep hole to try and climb out of before race day. Yeah, I think I think with the sessions there that you do in the taper period, a lot of it is about also getting your confidence in or in the right place so if, if you're self-coached set yourself up for success rather than for failure so don't try to do a session with really short recoveries where you have a bigger risk of not being able to do it as well as you should it's better to just rest a bit longer like get those re- those reps done well and feeling good feeling strong and uh, then you have that good good co- a good confidence good uh a good mental state going into the race yeah, you want to walk away
1: from those, those lead-up sessions. Um, yeah, like you say, with the confidence that you're going to be able to stand on the start line and deliver the performance that you're after. Um, yeah, if you, if you go onto the start line, second-guessing and questioning, you know, if you've got it right, um, you're less likely to
0: perform well yeah um and yeah about nutrition i i just think yeah i want to echo what you said there about uh, nutrition on race day. and of course that's something that I've, i think that most people now no well i maybe i don't i don't know a lot, <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people think about that and, and do a decent job of it i think it, i i would actually say that especially for for longer races where really glycogen uh, stores and and carbohydrate becomes uh, energy basically uh, becomes the a limiting factor for many yep. not getting in enough carbs beforehand i think is a maybe a more common mistake even than than failing with your nutrition on on race day itself because that does require some some thinking and that's where i think that a lot of people just get swept away and just try to to wing it and winging it isn't necessarily going to be a successful strategy. If you're going to do an Ironman and really need to, um, yet have as much, as much glycogen in your stores as you can before the race starts yeah and, it's, and that's a tricky one right because yeah you know as we just talked about the taper we're
1: we're decreasing the volume and the intensity um and so the natural instinct for people is to um maybe decrease their their intake of food when really they should be doing the opposite and, and taking more food on so that they're, they're fueling those stores and, and preparing the body for for battle if you like um yeah yeah, yeah
0: exactly yeah so let's go on to some training training advice questions so can you give maybe two tips for each of the disciplines so let's start with two tips for improving your swimming performance for an age grouper
1: um i think yeah so maybe um trying to refine your your swim stroke and get get that correct so um slow slowing down before you can speed up as um as a, a term that's Banded around quite a bit with um with swimming, and that you know you you get that you get that technique down pat before you um, try and increase the volume rather than swimming swimming a lot with poor volume, and then just keeping the consistency um, up with your swing so that you are um that you're not kind of having a couple of really good weeks and then not swimming for two weeks. So just be consistent with it in whatever numbers of times a week that you can get to the pool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um- I'll I'll add to that one because I recently had the realization here that in here we had a, a few bank holidays and uh, and I kind of messed up my own my own swimming around those bank holidays when I couldn't <laughs> swim and I lost the lost the swim that I that I wanted to get in. So I think that I'll I'll add that note that yeah, keep keep track of your pool's opening hours. Obviously this is something I see with my athletes as well that sometimes they have a session planned but they didn't realize that Oh, it's going to going to be pool maintenance. It's a, it's a bank holiday or whatever it is. But that swimming does require a little bit more planning and preparation in that sense. Yeah, but yeah. it is so important, as you say, to keep keep the frequency up. So, so I think that that's that's an important thing to stay on top of. That is maybe yeah, it's quite easy to miss, and uh, as I as I've done myself. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move on to to biking. There are two tips for biking. Um, I think the first tip is to. Um,
1: Spend some spend some time and some money on getting a decent um, bike fit, and making sure. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we're talking long course. Um, get as aero as you can possibly get, um, but also maintaining the comfort and the able to, the ability to deliver power, and then still get off the bike and run. So there's lots of components there to think about, but I think it's worth I think it's worth doing that over most things, um, and ideally. Um, this is maybe the second tip, or part of the first tip, is that they um, buy the bike that fits them rather than trying to fit themselves onto the bike um, that they purchase because they like that particular model. Um, I think that's really critical that they understand what bike they fit on, um, mm. rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah. So, would you recommend maybe going and having a fit before purchasing on a fit bike, getting your your measurements and getting some recommendations from? from the fitter, based on based on that pre-bike fit around what bikes are most suitable for the person
1: yeah that's right yeah in, in the ideal world it's not always practical i know but um i think if they've got the ability to do that then that's something that they could really um gain make some big gains on i mean it's an expensive it's an expensive job um buying a new bike um so uh, i think if you're going to do that you might as well uh, do it properly yeah get, get the fit done first and then um get by the bike that's recommended um that you can adjust to get into that position yeah
0: yeah yeah no that's a, that's a great point and i think if that's not possible if that's not available to uh to you then maybe even just understanding your body proportions do you have a mm-hmm. uh, a longer torso or longer legs uh, or or are you fairly in the middle balanced uh and and then 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 it can be that, that's a good starting point for figuring out which bikes might or might not be so suitable to you, because I think that that's quite often where you can have a, basically purchasing the wrong bike. If you have an unusually long torso or unusually long legs, and then you just end up with the bike that happens to kind of fit the opposite person. Right. Uh, than you.
1: Um, the second, the second part, the second thing there is um, if they're training for a particular race, uh, they study the profile of that course um, and, and then start looking around at their local terrain and trying to trying to mirror um, the courses as closely as they can, or at least parts of that course. So that when they're when they're riding, you know, on the race course, they can, um, you know, they can almost look down and, and kind of go, "Yep, I've I've been on this I've been on this hill before. I've, I've, I've raced this part of the course before." Kind of it's more of a mental thing than anything, but also like just understanding the demands of each climb, what it might look like and what it might feel like. So
0: that's definitely uh, can definitely help yep excellent and finally uh two tips for running um i think the the biggest tip is that the long
1: the long run is your friend um and the more consistent long running you can do the better the better you'll be um come race day um i think if you uh if you were to have a choice of um, doing a long run or doing a workout, um, the long run would, would win every day um, in terms of you know bang for buck. Um, and I think try and incorporate as many hills into your running as you possibly can. And um, I've always used the term that hills are speed work in disguise, so you can you can really you you can really use your climbing where you're running and riding for that matter um, to get some pretty big gains um, without the without the hurt of being on the track or you know being on a measured a measured loop where you're doing reps and things like that so um it's it's almost an organic speed work um into your into your running so yeah those are my two tips for running
0: yeah that's excellent with the long run how how long would you build it up if and that might be different but let's say for an iron man how long would you build it up for for the specific preparation for the race
1: Oh, it really it depends. Um, it would depend on the person. So if they've come from a background of an of an experienced background of running, or you know, even an Ironman athlete, and they're confident they can run, you know, the forty two kilometers, then I wouldn't go too too far or close. You know, I wouldn't go too close to that. Maybe around thirty four kilometers, something like that, thirty five kilometers. Um, but for someone who's never done it before, maybe they might like to run that distance um, at least once um, just for the confidence that they can actually, you know, run that far. Um, that would be less ideal. Um, but I think, I think around that 34 to 35 kilometre mark is probably the, the limit. Um, I think anything beyond that you start, doing, um, you start doing a lot of damage to the legs that takes a bit of time to recover from and so that it impacts on what you're going to do the next day and the next week.
0: Yeah that made me uh think about another question that's not in our notes by the way but uh what do you think about if you have if you want to do well in an ironman but also in a marathon do you have any thoughts on how to combine the two how long do you need between them and also what is the kind of the sequencing of that i've always felt that or not always but i guess recently more recently i felt that that sometimes when you try to do a a marathon for example in february march april of course the the closer you get to the actual ironman the more the more you're basically compromising your triathlon training Uh, if you do it earlier it's better but still i've i've had experiences where doing a marathon in february might still be a compromise for summer racing and even like late summer racing so so i've kind of been on the on on the side of do your triathlon races in the summer now i'm talking a northern european or northern Mm. hemisphere summer and then aim for doing a marathon in let's say november december and you can build on that fitness that you gain from the triathlon season and and you can then focus fully on the on the marathon i basically seen that a lot of like experienced athletes especially they can Build up a bit quicker to the marathon than building up to the to the Ironman because it's only one discipline and you can really focus on it for that period. Yeah, but uh, I want to hear where you come down on this issue, and it might be completely different.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it probably depends on the person. Um, but I think if you're if you're doing your marathon prior to your Ironman, um, you're probably you're probably going to spend more time than you need to. F- focusing on that um and then once you've once you've run your marathon the damage that it's going to do to your body because you're probably going to go a little bit deeper than um you would running off the bike um it's a natural tendency to run a little bit harder um in a stand you know standalone marathon than you would off the bike at the end of an ironman so you probably end up doing a bit of damage to yourself that um takes some time to heal and that would impact on your ability to then train properly for the ironman um so if you're doing your Ironman first, you built that a massive aerobic base uh, on the bike and the pool, you know, on your running, and then, and then you can be more specific about the work you do for the marathon. So I think that that way probably is a more natural um, tendency. When I was, if I hark back to when I was a runner, um, we would always do a big. Um, block leading into a into a marathon and I would always try and be really fast over ten thousand meters uh, before I started my marathon block. And that was um, you know, get really fit and fast and then be really specific for the for the event that we're targeting. Um so it's the same thing for ironman and um and a marathon. I think it would be work better going that way.
0: Mm, yep. And uh are there things that you think that uh amateurs should and should not uh learn or take away from the way that uh, from what pro triathletes are doing in training or and or racing
1: i think in training um it's pretty key is that they um and I, I think if we relate it back to what hayden has been doing over the years you know he spent the first few years trying to be fit enough to be at the front of the race and now trying to win um and i think you'll see the same with, you know, pro Ironman athletes as they're trying to win races. So that the workouts that they're doing um, are geared around um, are geared around that rather than a lot of age groupers, you know, just trying to finish the race or, you know, do well in their age group. But it's not, the, the, the intensity is different and the outcomes are going to be different. So I think they should not look at them for the workouts that the pros are doing um, and focus more on what they need to be doing to be competitive. Um, yeah, because I think the demands are very different, and then also the intensities that the pros can can ride at and run at, related to their you know um, to their baselines, um, are much tighter. But that's why the pros they can do that. So um, yeah, so don't try don't try and mimic them in that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, uh, and and also uh, things like the different duration of the of the event. So that also contributes to the intensity, of course. But that also means that it's you're bas- basically training for a different event. That's if you're right. training for a, let's say, ten hour Ironman versus a seven thirty Ironman, or even a twelve fifteen hour Ironman, then that's it's right, it's completely different. Yeah and uh what what about uh yeah maximizing limited limited time budget do you have any tips for for that how can you make the most of your time available if you have uh, not uh, yeah if you have eight to ten hours a week to train and you want to do especially longer longer triathlon races
1: yeah i think it's just really focus on the basics um so, uh, you know, I, ha- I had two athletes um, who won their age groups in Hamburg at the World Sprint Champs. Um, they're both surgeons and um, are really limited, and they've got two kids, um, they're- and they're both limited, you know, how much they can do in a day. Um, they're kind of 60 minutes to maybe to 90 minutes max during the week, and then, you know, a couple of hours on the weekend is probably their limit. So um, really not much time um, to be able to to be able to train properly um but we just you know made sure we got the basics right so getting one long ride done uh sorry one long run done um and then one long ride and i put that in comments because they weren't even that long it was kind of like two hours um it's a long ride for them um and but what we did do is tried to mix um some intensity into those into those longer runs and rides so that they almost getting um you know a, a dual session done um and i mean it's not it's not perfect and it's not ideal but um that was all the time they had so we had to be a little bit more flexible um and innovative with the sessions that they were doing but yeah just focus on the basics would be my my key advice yeah
0: yeah no that's a great example and also it it shows that yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't let uh Chasing perfect be the enemy of the good, so to say. So you're right. doing, doing things based on your your circumstances rather than trying to force brute force um, what you think is perfect when that might not be a feasible thing to do yeah. in, in your circumstances. That's right. Uh, and uh, maybe if we finish off this segment, uh, do you have one to three additional pieces of advice uh, that we haven't already talked about related to training, performance, uh, improvement uh, for age groupers?
1: Um, I think I, I think I've already mentioned it, but I learn to learn to train um, without the aid of the data. I think is really really critical. I think um, a lot of athletes are far too reliant on the numbers that they're looking at, um, and I think if they can um, learn how that feels and, um, and dial into that a bit more, they'll they'll gain a lot out of it. Um, spend some time um, on their on their on their bike fit and getting euro that's um good bang for buck and with their running if they can run on soft surfaces so um, just minimize the impact that they're getting um into the legs keep your easy runs easy um and so like i said before that you know percentage of time per kilometer slower than you know an aerobic run um and so you can you know depending on what zones you're using and things like that you can um adjust that as you need keep any efforts that you do under control so um yeah, just try not to, to do those too hard, like on the bike and on the run. Keep them specific and understand the purpose that's, you know, been um, prescribed. If you've got a coach and they're asking you to do, you know, work out a certain intensity, there's a reason behind that. So try not to, um, try not to exceed that. Um, otherwise, you know, you could be training in the wrong, in the wrong zone and, and, and or doing, you know, harm to the,
0: the work that is trying to be um, accomplished. Mm. Yeah, great tips. And uh, I have a few other general coaching questions. Of what is something that you've implemented, changed, or evolved in your coaching in the last few years?
1: Yeah, it's a big question, and I'm and I, and I, and I and I'm struggling with an answer to it. Um, and it'll probably merge into the, the next question that you sent me. But it was um, one of the big things I'm doing at the moment is uh, I'm part of a, a coaching um course through high performance sport in New Zealand and it's a quarter coach accelerator program. And so we've been spending probably about 18 months um on this course and um we've been meeting maybe once every six weeks or so and the big focus is around having um having tough conversations, but also around how to learning how to listen to someone in that conversation and ask the questions that um, might not be instinctual but thinking a little bit circular trying to understand where they're coming from and um and then if we relate that back to a coaching environment is that when we're talking to our athletes we can um we can get a little bit more understanding where they're thinking what where their thought processes come from and trying to get in kind of get in their pocket really and understand um from their point of view rather than trying to push my assumptions and my thoughts of what I think is right and what I think is correct onto them. so uh, so that's been a big thing uh, recently and um, I got asked in an interview a couple of days ago whether my athletes have noticed that and I'm not sure that they have but I feel I, I've noticed it and I feel like I've you know I've gained a lot out of the, of the ability to be able to do that so it's been a big step. Mm-hmm
0: yeah yeah no that that's really cool and uh, as you said, that maybe answers the next one, which is something you're trying to learn more about or focus on at the moment, or is there anything yeah. else you want to highlight there as well um no, that's probably the big one for me at the moment, it's been a big focus for uh, the last um
1: year, year to eighteen months so
0: all right yeah and if, if you could uh visit your young athlete self and uh, give yourself some good advice, what would you say <laughs> so much? <laughs> we could have a long conversation about this um
1: but, I think the main thing would be when i and when I was a young athlete we we didn't have really a coach who uh controlled our our output very well um, and so we used to get carried away in workouts and we used to try and, you know, do the big hero sessions and um, if we were doing a set of 1K reps, we would just rip them as hard as we could. Um, and I think, you know, we we ultimately did more damage to ourselves than we got gains out of it. So um, I would go back and correct that. Um, however, in saying that, that's probably created – me as the coach that I am now and and that I can look back at those examples and go, that's not what to do. Um, and that if I was doing them correctly, then I probably wouldn't be the coach I am now. So um, yeah, a bit of a catch-22. Mm,
0: yeah, um, that actually, it does lead me to a, a slightly different question, but but you are co- coaching a squad of, of junior athletes and uh, I don't know exactly uh, what the setup is and what equipment they have, but uh, I think in a lot of, Similar settings where you have a, a squad of junior athletes. Uh, it, it's it's mer- f- fairly organic, especially at the beginning when a new athlete joins the squad. They they, they don't have a bike computer or Garmin or anything. They they don't necessarily know what uh, what pace they're running or what power they're pushing or any, anything like that, or even necessarily how that they don't necessarily have that perception either of their of their effort like what is what is rpe really so so how do you as a coach of that squad try to i guess control their efforts is or what is and what is that process like does it take some time to to get to the level where they really understand and internalize that
1: yeah that's always an ongoing battle especially with young boys um and if they're in a group because they um they always want to show off um And they're always egging each other on. So, um, always have to be careful how I prescribe their workouts. So I always, I always try and dial everything back. Um, if I'm prescribing a run session, I'll dial back the pace that I want them to run at. Um, because I know that they'll always go a few seconds faster, um, than I prescribed because, you know, the male, the male, young male ego, um, takes over. Um, so it's a little bit of clever manipulation uh, from a coach point of view. Um, and then as they get older and older, they they understand, um, you know, that that's not to their advantage. So, um, yeah. And I'm always talking to them at sessions about not racing each other and making sure they stay in control. So eventually it sinks
0: in. Yeah. All right. That's good. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all all of the questions. Where, where can people find you and follow you? Yeah, so um, I'm on
1: Instagram, just under my name, Craig Kirkwood. um, And then also on Facebook, I have a coaching account on there. So you can jump on those pages. I'm not very active on um, Facebook these days, um, but definitely on Instagram. Let's throw a few more things up there. So yeah, jump on there and have a follow
0: yeah and i'll put a link to your website as well and and of course to the previous episode for people that want to to listen to that but yeah thank you so much craig it was great to uh, have a chat and uh, good luck for the upcoming year with uh with all your athletes but with hayden and going to the olympics especially
1: yeah thank you very much for the opportunity to have a chat and hopefully next time we talk we've um we've got a gold
0: yeah let's let's shoot for that all right thank you I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com, where I'll link to the previous appearance of Craig on The Triathlon Show and also, of course, to his website and Instagram. Next Monday is the final episode of the year, and that will be a q and I will be recording this Q&A tomorrow, so you can still send in questions if you're listening to this episode on the day that it's released on a Monday. So questions sent in today, Monday, still have a chance of getting included in next week's QA episode, which will be recorded tomorrow. So send in your questions if you ha- want your questions answered to Michael at and that's Michael with a K. If you're interested in improving your triathlon performance and want to help to achieve your goals, then consider working with the Scientific triathlon coach or training plan. We have options for athletes of all different levels for different budgets and no matter the size of your goals. A few points that I want to highlight to reduce the barrier to get started is that we have no minimum commitment term nor startup fees for coaching, and for training plans, we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee for plans purchased on our website, and an exchange guarantee so you can exchange your plan for another one if you purchase through Training Peaks. We also have consultation and customized plan options, so there's uh, options for most needs. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. And finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Form, that you can find on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real time metrics like pace, stroke rate, and heart rate, and advanced post swim analysis. Use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim Goggles. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim training to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. Even if you have just 15 minutes at home available, you can get a time efficient Senate workout done at home that will help you swim better and stronger. You can try the Zenate Risk Free for up to 30 days and get 20% off your first order on ZenateTimTrail.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep trading smart and keep loving Triathlon.